they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours. Proverbs 30 verses seven through nine. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that by it you teach us and equip us for every good work, and that through it, Lord, you are glorified. And so we do ask this morning in the ministry of the word, both here and abroad, Lord, would you be glorified? We do pray for our missionary, Scotty, and we do ask that the the numerous studies that he leads, Lord, may it be fruitful for the people, to bring them much joy, and Lord, may it glorify you. And we pray the same for our our brothers and sisters over at Grace Bible and their their pastor this morning. Would you fill Philip with your spirit so that he might preach with boldness? Lord, give him wisdom so that he might say what is good and right. And Lord, would you be with your people there? Give them eyes to see and ears to hear so that they might receive your word with joy and glorify you as they sing and as they worship. And Lord, do the same with us this morning as well. Would you be with me? Lord, help me rightly handle your word this morning and and be with me so that I might be calm. May I say only that which is necessary and beneficial for the good of your people and for your glory. And so, Lord, would you be with us, Lord? Would you plant your word in our hearts? And may it produce much fruit. And may it be for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we continue our time through the Lord's Prayer, and we come to the sixth sermon in this series. And in previous weeks we've gone through the address of the the Lord's Prayer, and we've gone through the first three petitions of this prayer as well. And so listen again to the first half of the Lord's Prayer, and as we do, let's recall what we have already heard in weeks past. Matthew 6, 9, and 10, Jesus said this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want us to notice this about these first three requests. The first three petitions are not about our immediate needs, 
You see, without, with exception to the word our in the address of this prayer, this prayer is full of pronouns from the first half that are all used in reference to our heavenly Father. We're to pray like this, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I point this out not to fill our minds with just grammar facts about the Lord's prayer, but I'm pointing this out that all these requests are about God and his kingdom and his righteousness and about his will and about his name being holy because I want this to change the way that we pray. I hope that we don't go on praying like whiny children that just say, give me, give me, give me. You see, often we use a wonderful thing like prayer for our own sinful desires, And we do this because we are selfish, disobedient, and discontent. And James warns us about these prayers. He writes this in James 3, or 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we see in the first half of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us not to pray for our own good, but for God's glory. And this is important because so often in our inmost desires and consequently in our prayers as well, we have nothing to do with the glory of God. We have the sinful tendency to fix all of our attention in our prayer on all the things that we want and the things that we think we need. But this is not the way that we have been taught to pray. Our prayers are to be, first and foremost, about God's name being hallowed and about his kingdom coming and about his will being done. But we can take this principle about prayer for the glory of God too far and we can misunderstand prayer in a completely different way than those who simply make prayer a means where God is simply a cosmic vending machine for our good. What I mean is this. If we think that prayer is only to be done so that we might seek the glory of God without ever giving any of our personal requests to God, well then, we will only continue to not know how to pray. You see, this week, we begin the second half of the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to see a notable shift that takes place. You see, in the second half of this prayer, Jesus gives us three additional petitions that we are to pray, and in those petitions, we are instructed not to just pray for God's glory, but yes, even our own personal good. While the first three petitions use the pronoun your, the latter three petitions use the first person pronouns that all refer to us. And so listen to these pronouns, and hopefully as you listen to it, you'll notice the change that takes place in the later half of this prayer. We're told to pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So while the first three petitions focus on the glory of God, we see that the latter three are all about God acting for our good. And we need to understand this about prayer. Making personal requests known to God for our good is not a misuse of prayer so long as we do not separate those requests from first and foremost seeking the glory of God. 
So as we come to this fourth petition where we ask for daily bread, we must not try to somehow pluck this prayer from the previous petitions. Because if we separate this petition from all the rest, we will find ourselves not being able to say the very word that Paul said when he was at his worst. Remember Philippians 4.11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So let's make sure that in our efforts to learn what it means to ask for daily bread, we don't somehow divide this from all the other petitions that we have already covered. But with this in mind, let's consider this fourth petition this morning. What does it mean to pray like this? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, there are all kinds of ways people have interpreted these words. Some believe that this is a request for the Lord's Supper, that we would have the bread that we're going to eat later this morning as we partake of the, the bread and the cup. Others think that this request is about God's coming kingdom where we will eat with him at the marriage supper of the lamb. And others still make this petition about asking for Jesus who is the bread of life. And these are certainly creative interpretations, but I do think they are far too creative you see, these interpretations are made likely out of some kind of ascetic view that believes that the needs of the body are sinful. And perhaps these interpretations are made because we have just seen three requests before where we have fixed our eyes heavenwards to the glory of God, and some find it unthinkable that we could go from praying for God to be glorified only to shift quickly to our own stomachs by asking for such an ordinary and mundane need as daily bread but that's exactly what this petition is about. I want us to see this. We are to pray for daily bread because God cares about our life. When we ask for daily bread, I want us to go even further and understand this. I don't think that we are simply asking for bread. I think that in the request for bread, Jesus is teaching us that we are to ask for all the necessities that we need for our life. And so the essence of asking for daily bread might include things like asking our Heavenly Father to provide us with things like this, like a home, or a car, or a job, or perhaps even our health. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we are asking God to give us all that is needed for these weak and perishing physical frames. The scripture is full of proofs that demonstrate that God cares for our physical needs. If you think that a, a request for, for daily bread is mundane or trivial to God, well, think again. God cares so much for us as his children that he keeps track of even the most mundane things about us that we would mostly think are trivial. Remember Jesus when he said this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So with the exception of those of us who are trying to prevent our balding, I assume that all of us think the number of hairs on our head is very trivial. 
but to our heavenly Father who loves us and cares for even, yes, our body. He has every single hair numbered that is on our head. Oh, that we would know and believe that our heavenly Father cares about these bodies and the needs that we have to sustain them in this life. The Lord, he cares about our practical needs that we have, and his care for our frame is even reflected by us when we love our neighbor. James 2 talks about true religion, and he puts it like this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? We are commanded to love our neighbor and to care for their physical needs like nakedness and hunger because this is the very same care that God has for us. And when we love our neighbor like this, it is but a reflection of God's love and care for his children. But there is a better image of the love of the Father that he has for his people more than just the church and the Christians who are love that is still marred by sin. Rather, let us look to the best image of God's love for man's life and his physical needs that is demonstrated by our Lord and Savior. Matthew 15 says this, Then Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Oh, we could go on all morning, and we could talk about the compassion of Jesus who demonstrated his care for those who had physical needs. But to do so would take up the rest of our day and even the rest of our life. So instead, you have some homework. Go home and read Matthew 8 and 9 and read of Jesus' compassion that he had for those who came to him with sickness and for those who were harassed and without a shepherd. Read those stories and recognize this. God cares for our life. Yes, even these frail bodies. Know that God, he cares for our needs and let this knowledge motivate us all the more to go to him in prayer as we ask him to give us our daily bread. But God cares for our life, not for just the reason for daily bread, but I want us to, to see why else we should come to him for pray, in prayer for daily bread like this. We are to pray for daily bread because we are utterly dependent on God for the basic necessities of life. Many of us do well by going to the Lord in prayer when we have great needs. We have learned to go to him in prayer when we are sick. We have learned to pray when we are worried and afraid. And we should even pray all the more when matters are out of our hand and we have learned to do so. And even the most nominal Christian will even pray when his or her life is in danger. But for most of us, daily food doesn't really feel like something that we need to go to God for. After all, it's not like we're wandering in the wilderness in dependence on God for manna from heaven. Most of us are affluent enough to keep our pantries full. And not just our pantries, but our refrigerators too. And don't forget about the extra freezer that we keep stored in our basement and garage. And even if our own storehouses of food begin to run low, well, 
There's nothing to be worried about when they are. Because most of us are stones throw away from a grocery store that has stockpiles and stockpiles of all that we might need. And even if our preferred store doesn't have our choice of lactose-free milk in stock, well, it's no big deal because there are at least another two dozen stores within 15 minutes from our house that we can go to if we want it that bad. Most of us know very little about what it looks like to depend on God for daily bread because we have an abundance of food. Yes, even the poorest among us have some kind of access to food. And I'm not trying to ignore or overlook those who have legitimate hunger, but for the most part, we Americans aren't even remotely concerned about starving to death. You see, for the most part, we are concerned more about weight loss and obesity than hunger and starvation. Most of us don't know what it's like to pray for daily bread. But let us not be so foolish as to not realize where our food comes from. It is not from the fridge, it is not from the grocery store, and it is not from the farmer. Our food comes from God. Consider the wealth and comfort the Egyptians enjoyed in the book of Exodus. You know, they had the Nile River, which provided them with abundant food and riches. But all of that was consumed when God sent the plagues to destroy their crops and livestock. Consider yet again all the riches that Job lost. And what was his response? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, all that Job had, all the things that were even lost, were received and taken by God. And again, at the end of Job, we read, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. We would be absolute fools if we believed that our food and our fortunes came from the hands of our own industry. So if we recognize that all we have comes not from our hands, but from the hand of God, then we ought to pray all the more that God would give us our daily bread because we are far more dependent on him than we even realize. Listen, we are to pray for daily bread because we are utterly dependent on God for the most basic necessities of life. You may have put seed in the ground and you may have worked hard to water it and pull up the weeds, but God caused the seeds to grow and produce fruit. You may have worked hard to earn your paycheck. You may have even gone to school so that you might get the job. But the Lord is the one who has established the work of your hands. You may have even built your own house, be it your family or the frame of the house. But unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. So understand all of this. All that we have, the food that we eat, the families that we have, all that we have, even the, the houses that we have bought and the health that we enjoy, all that we have is but a gift that comes from the hand of God. And so when we pray, we should pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. And if you have a need that you think is too big for our God to provide, well, think again. 
was feeding the 5,000 too difficult for Jesus when all there were were five loaves and two fish? And yet again, is it too difficult for the Lord to feed the birds of the air and the grass of the field? No. Like the previous point, we could spend an entire morning and even more so the rest of our life considering all the ways in which God is active in providing for his people. But for a more comprehensive view on God's provision, go home and read Job 38 and 39 so that you might discover what it means for God to uphold the universe by the word of his power. We should ask our Father in heaven to give us our daily bread because we are no more able at providing food for our mouth than to ensure that we can take our next breath. Now let me just pause for a moment and give a word on the relationship between our eating and our working. Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such a person we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so while it is true that we are to ask God for our daily bread because he is the provider of everything that we enjoy, we should not expect him to give us food if we aren't working. We should not pray for daily bread with open hands all the while without putting those same hands to the plow. Even in Eden, God provided all the plants for Adam to eat. But this provision did not come apart from Adam's responsibility to work the ground and keep it. So yes, we should ask the Lord to give us our daily bread in prayer, and then we should work hard with our hands. And when our work becomes fruitful, we ought to give thanks to our God for establishing the work of our hands by providing all that we need for all that we have. And all that we will ever receive is a gift that has come not from our hand, but from the hand of God. Let me press this fourth petition even further. We are to pray for daily bread because bread is sufficient for our bodies today. Understand the simplicity in this request that we have been instructed to pray. When we ask for daily bread, we are only asking for the basic necessities of our body for today. Let me clarify this with two points. First, when we are asking for daily bread, we are not asking for steak and lobster. And second, when we are asking for daily bread, we are not asking for a silo of wheat for the next year. Let me elaborate on both of these just briefly. First of all, when we ask for daily bread, we are not asking for steak and lobster. We are asking for the most basic necessities for our life, as opposed to asking for rich and fine food. Many of us are accustomed to all kinds of luxuries, and we often blur the lines between what is needed and what is wanted. And I say this as the one who's preaching from his iPad when paper would do just fine. But in asking for daily bread, our request must not be used as some kind of way to grumble in discontentment when the Lord has already given us all that is needed for life. When we are asking for daily bread, we are asking for the most basic necessities that are needed for nourishing our bodies and giving us strength. 
And so when we ask God to provide a vehicle for our family, we are not asking for a faster car or a more powerful truck simply because we're discontent with the minivan that God has already given us. When we ask for a new home, we aren't asking for a, a bigger house with more land for the sake of our ego to impress our friends. And we could go on and on, but the point is this. When asking for daily bread, we are asking for just the most basic necessities of life as opposed to luxury, comfort, and pride. And second, when we ask for daily bread, we are not asking for a silo, but we are only asking for that which is needed for today. In this prayer request, we are asking the Lord for one day's food at a time, because guess what? Tomorrow we're going to be just as dependent on God as we were today and yesterday. Even if we have a lot saved up, we are still ever so dependent on our God. And so every single day we ought to come to him in prayer for daily bread. We are not asking for abundant riches for retirement, but instead we are asking for just enough money for today to meet our daily needs. When we ask for daily bread, we apply the wisdom of Proverbs 30 that we heard earlier. Two things I ask of you, deny them not before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In our prayer for daily bread, we must be watchful and make sure that we are not actually asking for riches. Paul, he gives us this warning for those who seek such things. 1 Timothy 6, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Soon enough, we will, we will go over the final petition, which is lead us not into temptation. And so it would be ironic for us to pray, give me riches, which will tempt us so much so that it might make it even impossible for us to enter the kingdom of God and all the while then go, but don't tempt me, God. Listen. When we are asking our Heavenly Father for daily bread, we are asking for neither luxury nor abundance, but instead we are asking for the basic necessities for today. Our request for daily bread, it evokes the imagery of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. You remember the story? God had delivered Israel from slavery, and he was going to give them the promised land. And this new land, it was it was said to be flowing with milk and honey. This land, it had clusters of grapes that were so big that it needed to be carried back to the people by two men. But in order to get to that land, well, Israel would have to go through the wilderness. Now traveling in the desert, especially with children and even the elderly, would be no easy task. But this would not be impossible because their God who delivered them from slavery would be with them and he would supply them with all the food that they needed day by day. But unfortunately, Israel was not content with God's provision and time and time again, they grumbled against the Lord for bringing them into the wilderness where they were forced to eat manna instead of sitting by the fire in the pot in Egypt. Friends, let me remind you of something 
Israel's story is much like our own. For we too have been delivered from a greater tyrant who has made us his slave. We were slaves to sin before God ever saved us. And even now, God is leading us to our own promised land that has far greater riches than milk and honey. Our promised land, it has streets of gold and pearly gates. And more than this, that land has a river that flows through it with the water of life. And by that river is the tree of life. This is the promised land that we are traveling to. But in the meantime, we have this life this wilderness of our own where we must travel to get there. And in our wilderness, Satan will tempt us with everything that he can to try to make us grumble against our father. He will tempt us to settle even in the wilderness or even worse yet, he might make us go back to Egypt altogether because somehow we think what's there is better than what's coming ahead. He will tempt us to try to create our own little heaven here on earth through luxury, wealth, and comfort. But settling for the riches in the world instead of heaven is like trading your birthright for a bowl of beans all because you're hungry. So let us guard ourselves when we pray for our daily bread. For in our prayers, we are not to grumble, but instead we ought to all the more fight off the temptation of discontentment that might creep into our hearts. For our God has given us and will continue to give us all that is needed. And so let us guard ourselves from this discontentment. But not only that, let us learn one more lesson. While daily bread is sufficient for our bodies, bread is not sufficient for life. See, we're far too anxious about the things that are needed for life. We get anxious about work, finances, health, perhaps even all the other ways in which we might die. But Jesus, he kindly corrects us. He said this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so while it is true that we are to pray for daily bread, we do not need to pray anxiously, In fact, when we pray for daily bread, let us not just stop by asking for bread alone, but let us go to him for all the things that are needed to sustain this life. Daily bread is only one of the three petitions that we are gonna go to God for. For we don't just need daily bread, but what we're gonna see in the weeks ahead is we need forgiveness of sins and deliverance from evil. And though we ask God for daily bread, even hunger has its purpose for the good of God's children. When wandering in the wilderness, and even when we ourselves might be hungry and God withholds food from us, God is lovely disciplining his children for the purpose of preserving their life. Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled you, and that you hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Even after Jesus fed the 5,000, they too would hunger soon again. And their hunger had its own divine purpose from the hand of God. For in their hunger, Jesus revealed to them that they needed more bread than the bread that perishes. 
but they needed the bread of life. And so Jesus tells them, and he tells us as well, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so when we pray, and when we ask God for daily bread, let us not do so with grumbling and discontentment. Let us not go to him simply seeking all the gifts that he might give. But when we ask God for daily bread, let us also seek the giver who alone can satisfy. And so to this end, let us pray and ask our Father to satisfy our hunger. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have taught us what is needed. And Lord, it is true that we do need our bread today. And so, Lord, for those who are in need of any sight, Lord, would you be our provider? Even for those who don't think we need anything, Lord, reveal to us our utter dependence on you. And forgive us for the times where we think that we can do it by ourselves. Lord, open our eyes so that we might see the beauty of Jesus, so that we might see him and find him to be altogether lovely, altogether satisfying far better than riches and far better than gold. And Lord, may we come to you even now. Satisfy us, Lord, with your steadfast love. We thank you, we love you, and give you all the glory. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.